0: everyone I'm Hannah Lloyd and I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast Women in Wellies. Each episode we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want
1: to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you our listeners. Hello and welcome to episode five of Women in Wellies. Today we're joined by Alison Milne. Alison how are you?
2: I am very well thank you Hannah and
1: thank you very much for asking me to join you. You're very welcome it's great to have you here. So Alison do you want to kick us off by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah of course. Uh, I think maybe
2: I might kick off by congratulating the pair of you actually in launching this podcast in the first place. Um tremendous effort it's been great to listen to. Um and I'm delighted that you asked me as one of your first guests. So thanks uh, Alison thank you <laughs> so a little bit about me um my life and career have very much been shaped by scottish agriculture i grew up on our family farm just outside Stirling and started my career with nfu scotland as regional manager for orkney shetland and highlands when i took the job I'd never been to Orkney and Shetland and didn't quite appreciate the distance that I was going to be covering from Edinburgh. Um, but it was, uh, if I could have picked a job to start my career, then it was absolutely the one. It was fantastic. Um, and during my time with NFE Scotland, I carved out a career path um, and Had a few different jobs. So I was business development manager before laterally being their commercial and operations director. Um, And then I guess after eight or nine years, decided that it was time for me to do something different. My husband and I were looking at ways that we could add value, uh, change the viability of the farm for the future. And I decided that at the time was right to come home. So that's what I did, and Dan, my husband, uh, and I looked at various different options. I decided that I wanted to keep my hand in, so with the, the stakeholder environment and everything that was going on in policy terms in the industry. So I did a little bit of uh, consulting on the sides, mainly for the Tenant Farmers Association and a couple of other different people. Uh, and. In that time, my husband and I decided that we would launch our business, Crafty Ballsters. So him and I are directors of the business. We grow and have done for generations barley on the farm. We decided we wanted to shout a bit louder and really demonstrate in the supply chain how much importance the farmer and the barley has so we launched Crafty Boltsters and i'm happy to kind of share a, a bit about that journey with you um later on in the podcast and alongside that i also still do at my consultancy business i'm involved in scottish rural leadership program and working with a number of different businesses uh, mostly in the food and drink supply chain and agri supply chain and i'm also director of scotland food and drink and I think that's probably enough for right now, but I'm sure more things will come out that I've forgotten about.
1: <laughs> do you ever sit still Alison? Like, I thought I did a lot of things, but I think I think you trumped me quite a, by quite a long way now. <laughs> well, I,
2: I do sit still occasionally, but the, the job that I forgot in amongst all of that is that I'm also a mum. Uh, and that is a very important job to me. So yeah, the chances of me sitting still with three boys in the house are, are virtually nil. <laughs>
1: But it sounds like you've got a lot of a lot of different things and strings to your bow there and a really varied um, kind of career and experience across the agriculture sector and i know that i'm looking forward to slightly slightly later in the podcast hearing more about the journey to crafty monsters
2: yeah it's certainly very varied but i think i've quite purposefully chosen things that are complementary so the organizations that I work with, the Rural Leadership Programme, my own farming business and Crafty Maltzers. I've learned lessons in each of those different areas that I can transfer, which I think is, is the best part about it.
1: And, and I love a bit of variation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to doing lots of things, isn't it? That If they complement each other, then the crossover is all there. So it, so, it, so it doesn't feel like you're doing quite as many things, which I think is, is really valuable.
2: Definitely, it's been a juggling act to get to the point where I really feel that the right balance is there. And I think now it's probably only in the last couple of years that I really feel as if I've, I've got that balance right. Um,
0: Alison, you were awarded an MBE in 2020 and um, I'd love to hear the story about being awarded that um, because I think when you found out you thought it was a friend pulling your leg? I certainly did. The main reason for
2: that was because it was during COVID time so it came through as an email and we all get lots of different spam emails from various places so I was reading this thinking, this is definitely somebody pulling my leg or, or some sort of spam, the more I read on the more I thought no this actually looks quite official. And then I sort of fell off my chair. And I printed off the letter that I'd got and ran outside without my shoes on looking for Dan. He was in the yard. I think, I can't remember if it was silage or he was doing something. And I'm waving this piece of paper going, Dan, Dan, Dan. Um, and he was ignoring me and saying, just wait, just wait, busy, busy. And I'm like, I can't wait, can't wait. So anyway, I, I uh, ran up, showed him this letter. And I think for a moment, he thought possibly it was a joke as well. And then I guess we just hugged each other and it was like, wow, this is real. I'm not quite sure how to take this. So it definitely took a little while for it to settle in and, and feel real. And more than anything, I just felt incredibly humbled uh, at this point in my career to have, have that accolade, recognition, whatever you want to call it um was was really humbling. So I had to wait for quite a while because of course it was all during Covid so I think it was actually two years before I went to to Holyrood and it was Princess Anne that presented me who of course is a real stalwart and a fan of the farming industry so it was really really lovely to to have that connection have that discussion and yeah we had a lovely family celebratory meal afterwards which was was great
0: i mean that must have been one of your proudest moments was it
2: yes definitely i think it's hard to sometimes separate what goes on in your family life from your career moments and i mean obviously the standard answer is that many of these proudest moments come along with your children and i think there's been quite a few with with crafty maltsters as well but yeah it it was lovely to be recognized in that way and I think more than anything else I felt as if I was kind of carrying it for all of the other people that had taught me so many things along the way and all of the other people that had been involved in in my journey and why i'd
0: been recognized in that way it's very clear from the outset that your family are a huge part of of what you do and why you do things would you say that your family are kind of your biggest inspiration when it comes to doing what you do definitely and
2: various members of my family all for different reasons inspire me in, in different ways you guys have both met my mum so I think you, you you know she's a she's a pretty incredible lady and she has inspired me massively and again other people in my family for for different reasons and you know I don't really want to single anybody out but but my husband is a huge inspiration to me because it's him that I'm, I'm shaping my life with and um, creating that, that happiness. So so yeah, definitely him. And also family in the broadest sense of the word. I'm, I feel so fortunate to be part of Scottish agriculture, the community that comes along with that and the fact that having worked the length and breadth of Scotland, I can travel any distance in a car and I know that I can go down a farm track knock on somebody's door and have a cup of coffee and the people that i have met along the way have inspired me massively and yeah i just feel really lucky to be part of of this industry
1: we're back to that common thread charlotte of people yeah (laughs) every time every episode (laughs) It's it's people so Alison. um I think I'm um, I'm I'm feeling inspired already by this episode. I think you've got an incredible journey, but can you tell us a little bit about the journey to to Crafty Monsters and and what Crafty Monsters is for anyone who doesn't know and um and what you do? Of course. I'll start with the basics. We are probably
2: sixth generation at, at least growing barley and my husband and I are very passionate about the future of the industry very passionate about the impact that farmers and, and what we grow can deliver in the wider food and drink supply chain and beyond. And I guess it's probably about nearly 10 years ago now, maybe more, when I was working with NFU Scotland, I was doing a supply chain project with tenants Lager, who were very keen to get closer to their barley growers. And really bring that provenance through in the supply chain, and the more I looked at it, the more I realized how impossible that is, because, like so many other aspects of the food and drink supply chain, we operate in that commodity marketplace It's highly industrialized. And in many ways there's nothing wrong with that 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 is the way in in which we we've developed, but there's a sweet spot a special part there that if you really want to bring through the essence the importance the value of what lies in scottish produce then you have to change your mindset and you have to do it in a different way and that's when we started to realize that there was an opportunity for small scale malting so that the burgeoning craft brewing distilling uh, industry that's so exciting is actually able to get what it wants in the sense that it can say I know where my barley where my malt comes from and more than that what we were trying to to see was this barley has a value it's not a standard product it has the ability to change your end product if you let it if you let the flavor come through if you let the story come through then there's a massive opportunity and it's a really exciting one across the whole supply chain so that was when we thought this is worthy of further exploration, let's find out whether we can do this. And there's been, or there was quite a few challenges along the way, not least because nobody else was doing it in, in the UK or sorry, one other um, farmer down in, in Haddington, nobody else was doing it. So really nothing much to learn from. So we started looking at what was happening in America and there was a growing craft malting scene there. So we learned a lot by, by looking across the pond. Equipment really hard to do if not many or find, if not many people are actually doing it. Massive, massive capital investment, huge risk, huge kind of leap of faith. So there was many, many things that were stacked up against us. And to be honest, when we told people about what we were thinking of doing the common, or almost exclusively, the answer was, you are totally nuts. Don't even for a second, imagine that you can compete against the big monsters, what are you thinking to be ridiculous. And you know, our response to that was very much well, that's not what we're trying to do. You know, there's a place for everything, there's a place for a large scale, of course, there is. That's what you know, the The barley industry is built on in scotland but we're trying to do something different very different so it's not about competition it's not about thinking we can get to that scale it's about proving the worth of the barley and the supply chain and and what we can do to bring that through
1: it's an incredible kind of story of going like against the grain excuse the very bad pun but (laughs) (laughs) but you know and like carving carving a different a different path against lots of people saying no, we have to stick to the status quo let's just do things the way they've always been done and i think there's lots of kind of stories like that across scottish agriculture and i'm sure charlotte and i will share will share from others um over the course of our podcast but um not just this episode but i think it's really um encouraging that you Alison, you and dan had the strength to, to kind of just be like no we we know that there's space for this in the market we know that we're not going head to head with the big maltsters and we we really believe that there's a place for this and and that you've kind of carved that carved that path and and how's it going today because that's like you know as you said like 10 10 10ish years ago you started that journey how's it going today
2: so the actual malting business didn't launch until 2019 so it took us a very long time to iron out all of those challenges and get to a point where we thought we are comfortable to take that leap of faith and comfortable is probably not the right word because I think, as well as having the strength and quite probably the resilience that so many farming families have, there was also a little tiny bit of naivety in there, which I think was a good thing. If we hadn't had that, then we probably would have, we would have thought twice. So this in, in June will be our, our fourth year. And we've had a lot a lot of challenge. And um, not least the equipment coming across in bits. It's big, it's large, it's large scale processing equipment. So we had to build that we had no malting training, we had no idea how to malt. we had to learn. And we had to learn quickly. And we we had to also step back and say we have we we're going to be brave enough to learn it our way there's lots of people in the malting industry there's lots of people that could have told us the basics of how to malt but we weren't doing that on a large scale we were doing it on a small scale we were trying to do something different so there was a large element of saying we're gonna have to do this our way so that was that was challenging and um I think Dan is absolutely the, the master maltster and all of that. It, it came intuitively to him. And yeah, I'm kind of in awe of, of what he has been able to achieve in that sense. We had COVID. Uh, we've had you know, various things from a brewing and distilling perspective that have influenced our customer base. You know, we've seen brewers come and go Um, We work a lot with the distilling industry now, which in many ways is is able to absorb a lot of these challenges in a different way. So they are a bit more steady. But our processing equipment is a four ton system. That's what it's built as. The reality is that's not what it actually does. The malting process, everybody told us would take seven days. The reality is it actually takes 10, sometimes 11 days. So all of those different factors have had a big influence on the output and the sales that we can actually achieve, which has meant that the business model we projected is very different from the one that we have in reality, which is definitely challenging. And I think if Dan and I, which we don't often do, take a step back, remove ourselves from those challenges and say, well, what have you actually achieved it, that's a really important thing to do and i i was uh telling charlotte I, I did a podcast a home brewing podcast last night and they were asking me loads of questions about crafty maltsters and everything we did and they were they were just so enthusiastic about what we'd achieved <clears throat> and you know saying your malt the quality is second to none it's amazing it makes fantastic beers and it's really important for us to take that step back and say in a small way in a medium way whatever it is we've changed things we've demonstrated it can be done we've proven the the value of the barley the farmer the flavor and that's really satisfying
1: Alison I think that's absolutely fantastic reflection on the power of celebrating our own success we definitely none of us do that enough and it's so easy just to get caught up in the day to day and and to not stop and think oh actually what we did was was quite good there um so congratulations on taking that time to celebrate success moving on are there any other experiences you would like to share with our listeners
2: i started my career with a fair ver- a real strength of feeling around the potential of scottish agriculture the value of the people the families, the land, everything that that comes along with that, and the fact that through my eyes, it possibly wasn't being capitalized on enough or valued enough. So when I started my my role with NFU Scotland, I, I did so with an absolute belief that I know where I'm going. I'm going to a point where I can be influential enough to to change to change that and to showcase similarly with crafty bolsters to showcase the value of the people and the products. For me, that's what it was about. And I, I knew pretty early on that in order to do that would require fundamentally an ability to listen. Because the value that I picked up from people along the way was the most important thing. I had to listen because it wasn't about what I thought was the right thing. It was about what the industry and the people that that make it up thought and, and really understanding that. And the other massive factor was patience, patience, patience and patience. And for me, you know, I hear a lot that there's an unwillingness to change in the farming industry. That isn't my experience. My experience is that the people that I come across have, see a value in what they're they're doing. Somebody else looking at it might think that they should be doing it in a different way, but unless you get under the skin of that business and really understand the motivation of the people behind it, how on earth can you say that they need to or should change? Um, for some people it might be absolutely about profitability for other people it might be environment for some it might be community so unless you understand those things i don't believe that we're in a position to tell people that they have to change in the swathing way in which we tell scottish agriculture that it has to change and i never in all of the things that i did with with nfu scotland and there was quite a few different projects that that i launched so i did a project in Orkney in shetland called farming for the future where it was about peer-to-peer learning, because we, we were often in this model where we get in experts to tell our members, our farmers, what they should be doing. And my feeling was that knowledge, that passion exists in the industry. And yes, you have to have people to facilitate that. Yes, you know, there are people with areas of expertise that we can learn from, but bring all that together and you've got something pretty special and that's how you create the change that that you want to see so at the beginning people said uh it's not gonna work you're not gonna get people coming out they won't be interested it it ended up i think something like 40 percent of all the farmers in orkney took part in the program the buzz the you know hearing people say that might have only lived like 20 miles apart. Oh, God, I haven't seen you for five years. Um, you know, that kind of thing was what well, it was just a, just such a great feeling. And the team that we had built up to to deliver it all, I think we ended up doing about 20, 25 different events on farm. And we took it to the Highlands, to Shetland, to Aberdeen. And never in, in that time did I ever get a sense from the industry that there wasn't that willingness to change. It was more in the hierarchical structure that sits above that. And I don't mean in NFUS as an organisation, I mean across the board, whether that's from, you know, right the way down from government through to, we have hundreds of stakeholder organisations that support the industry. and really you know what I felt was that there's a confusion in that for people and somehow it doesn't always let the industry shine through.
1: I think it's absolutely brilliant Alison the the starting of that visiting each other because we're seeing it everywhere across the board you know Agri, Scottish Agritourism are doing it, um, other organisations and now we're seeing a real kind of desire to learn from each other, to see what each other's doing, to to step away from being so busy just doing, and to to go and see what other people are doing, but but and there is so much opportunity for that in this current market, and I think that's that's brilliant and fantastic that you had such great engagement early on in Orkney and in the Highlands with with that kind of opportunity, and um, I know I really enjoy going to see what what other businesses across the rural sector are doing, um, and I know I'm not alone in that, and I I. I know that from our like, rural leadership journey, there's people there talking about, oh, can you come and see what I'm doing so that we can share knowledge and experience and, uh, and learn from each other. And I think that is so, so powerful.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. That's so busy just doing. And many farms are really, really tight, you know, from a labor perspective. And they just simply don't have that time to, to get off. And, and and also, there's so many things, so many events to choose from. How do you begin to say, that's the one that, you know, if I've got three hours in my week to spare, that's the one I'm gonna go to. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just the network, understanding from other people, what's valuable, what's good, what's, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning, we're, we're a massive, massive family.
0: It's interesting that the public perception of Scottish farming, because time and time again, you know, we're hearing stories of how farmers have adapted to overcome challenges and there's obviously this big question mark at the moment around future sustainability of Scottish farming and what that's going to look like the importance of diversification in in sustainability and I think just you know going back to the to the Crafty Maltzers example I mean that's a great example of how diversifying your business can help you become more sustainable in the future. definitely I don't like the word diversification,
2: um, because, and and it's so commonplace that everybody uses it, but I prefer to say added value, because I think what what Dan and I were very clear about before we went down any other route was the farm business is the core. Unless you have that right, unless you recognise that... You can't do anything else with that without that foundation it is what has provided us for generations with what we've got we simply want to add value to that and we want to work with what we've got add value and showcase that to you know whether it in our case the brewing and stilling industry but it's equally applicable in every agri supply chain whether it's beef or soft fruit or whatever it might be um so yeah adding value is I think really, really important finding the route to do it is the challenging part,
0: and then I suppose just looking at your your, your children's future and the legacy that you're leaving for them are they quite active on the farm and things? not massively, <laughs> not massively they they have an interest,
2: and I think sometimes when you're growing up, I know certainly in my case you could you take it for granted a bit because it is the environment in which you grow up and you don't realize that the swathes of space, the excitement, the to us it's it's quite commonplace. and it's only actually when you're a bit older and you leave and you think, oh I, I'm hankering after that again that that's my life, that's where I want to be. So I think it's, it's, it can be difficult from that point of view. I mean, Max, my eldest son, he's got his sheep and they, they do muck in a bit, but uh, maybe not as much as, uh, as Dan would like. <laughs> um, tractor driving age is certainly gonna be useful. But I think, um, you know, in terms of the legacy bit, we talk a lot about legacy and that that's what drives us in our business and it's true uh, because we've been lucky enough to be to be handed over a business and to grow that business but as well as legacy what is equally important is the happiness the fulfillment for us in this generation because it's utterly pointless knocking your pan in day in day out to get to a point hand over that legacy of things, you know, and assets. For me, the biggest legacy will be in the people and in in my children, if I, if I can look at them and say, you know, in part, I have influenced their, their path, who they are as people, their kindness, their responsibility, you know, all these different things. For me, that's the most important legacy. And to be quite honest, I really want to enjoy my time right now. <laughs> I'm not looking to retirement to, to do that. I want to have fun now.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely crucial. I think agriculture is very much a vocation, um, as well as being a, a job, if you like. But if you, are, if you love what you do, if you're truly passionate about what you do, which you clearly are, Alison, then it doesn't feel like work sometimes.
2: It doesn't. I think one of the most difficult things is to... To find the balance in all of that because it's easy to take on too much and impossible then to keep that element of life of fun of doing other things that you enjoy and it's it's been a a long journey for me to find that balance and to say no you know to say I'm I'm sorry, I'd, I don't have time to do that. I'd love to be able to help you. I'd love to be involved. But I just, my non-negotiables, it's going to compromise them. And I will not miss sports day. I will not miss parents' evening. I will be here most of the time when my children come in from school. And, and I'm
0: sorry, but that's, for me, I'm not compromising on that. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Alison, was about confidence because you have achieved so much in your career, in your life and everything. How have you found your confidence develop over that time?
2: Firstly, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say say that. I think like many people, confidence is absolutely a thing that develops over time. And it comes when you find peace with yourself that, you don't have to prove anything that what you bring to the table is of value and that your opinion matters and i i still have imposter syndrome you know i'm involved in a couple of projects that sometimes i think i i don't know I, i don't know how anybody thinks i know what i'm talking about um, but, you know, I'll have people who yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'm like, okay, that's good, because I thought I was talking crap. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think everybody has a crisis of confidence at some point. And I suppose for for me, I am innately a very resilient person. I will go tooth and nail, if it, but with a smile on my face, in, in the nicest possible way. I um, to, to get what I believe is the outcome that, that needs to, to be there. So the patience, the the resilience, that comes quite naturally to me. Um, and although I might've had difficult times in life, I've never stopped believing that the point of happiness or achievement that I wanted to get to was out of my reach. I always believed it, it was there. Um, I think actually, the biggest boosts to my confidence probably comes not from saying I can keep going, I can keep going, I can do this. It's from stopping to say something's not quite right. I'm not. I'm challenged. I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm whatever I am. Stopping to say there's vulnerabilities here, and to the outside world, I. Look absolutely fine, and I'm fighting on, and I'm doing this, and I'm achieving that. But if behind all of that, it's not quite right, you're never going to have that level of confidence that makes you happy. And I think the biggest thing for me was stopping and saying, I need to sort those things out before I can actually genuinely feel confident that I've I've done what I wanted to do, or or I'm on a journey that I want to be on.
1: I think that's really powerful, Alison, what you've just said about vulnerabilities and confidence coming from being able to stop and face the challenges as well. Um, The question we end asking all our guests, um, so it's time for you, is what's one piece of advice you would give to the next generation of women in rural Scotland?
2: I think probably what I just finished up on there around vulnerabilities. And I think one of the, the things for me that really hit that I think I was reading a book or reading an article or something. And that quote, which you've maybe seen before, don't cover up the cracks, because that's where the light comes through, was let the let people know what your vulnerabilities are, let people know that you're unhappy or that you're, you're worried about something and address it. And, you know, I think honesty, authenticity, you know i you had said before this podcast that a couple of the questions that you're going to ask me and one of them was around the challenges and i think in my head i had a pretty stock answer for what i might say and i thought well that's not what this podcast is about this podcast is about honesty it's about vulnerability and saying you know we all have those moments so i think the most important thing i would say to people is do not be afraid of Um, of letting the vulnerability shine through being honest and being you um, because let's face it you can't be anybody else all those things are taken (laughs) I think you're both incredibly inspiring and everything that you've done whether it's in relation to this podcast or in your careers I feel very fortunate to have met you very fortunate to be part
0: of this and yes it's great huge well done We really appreciate that, Alison. It means a lot. And thank you for all of your help and support. Um, It has honestly been absolutely invaluable. So that's a wrap on episode five. Um, Alison, thank you so much for joining us today to share your stories, experiences and lessons. Thank you very much. If you would like to connect with Alison on social media, you will find her details in the show notes thanks for listening
1: if you enjoyed this episode follow us on instagram at women podcast to stay up to date with all the
0: latest news and you can email us with any questions on women and wellies podcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode until next time